Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We'll get back to your best and worst of the weekend and other phone calls, college football and otherwise, after our next guest. Joining us as promised, he is a great friend of the program and the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers. The NFL regular season is merely two days away. Your Panthers host the L.A. Rams on Sunday. Cut day was Saturday from 90 to 53 plus the practice squad. And there's actually been some shuffling in the Carolina Panthers broadcast booth as well. Now, Mick is back. Our friend Jim Zoki is back. But remember, we're going to get some Jake DeLone this year. We're going to get more of Jordan Gross this year. We're going to get Caroline Can on the sidelines this year as Mick Mixon makes the conversion from preseason TV play-by-play man back to his legendary role as the Panthers radio voice. Welcome back, man. Is that just a flick the light switch uh, transition for you at this stage of your career? You're so polished, it's probably just no big deal, right? (laughs) Where do I start? I mean, just on hold here watching you work and listening to it, I hardly know where to begin. It's just worth worth any any amount of time or money or or product to uh to hear the ramp up to to our conversation <laughs> i'm excited dg about the season in the booth i think jake delone will be add water instant color analyst same thing with jordan gross they don't just have the pedigree being two of the panthers all-time favorite sons but both of them are all day funny <clears throat> they're great storytellers you could get um, and you get Jake and Jordan out somewhere, a couple of uh, Diet Cokes, some plate of wings, whatever. I mean, and it would just – you wouldn't have to say a word. Even the great model communicator, DG, uh, wouldn't <laughs> probably have to say a word. you just listen to, to all the stories, and it's, it's great theater. For those scoring at home, that's uh, Mick Mixon 3, DG 1, when it comes to friendly barbs, and it's early. Uh, we, we purposely call Mick really close to when we get him on the air so that we would not be burning his very valuable time, let's say at 1.59 or, or 2 o'clock. We want to call him at the last second just to make sure we throw him on. Yeah. Uh, and get It's them. valuable, all right. I got a, some pretzels, some hummus. I got the Rams Chiefs from last year, Week 10, Monday Night Football on NFL Game Pass. I got my charts out here, so it's not like, taking out somebody's pancreas but i enjoy it <laughs> all right we will get to the roster moves for the panthers no more tory smith uh, a couple of additions at wide out and at defensive back uh, a surprise to some at kicker at least in the details but let me ask you a serious question about radio uh, i happen to have a business partner who hears questions about the current state of what we call terrestrial radio and you being the radio voice of the panthers i wonder what wisdom, in all seriousness, that you can share with us. He'll get questions about, you know, the the state of radio in 2019. And I just happen to know that this unnamed business partner of mine just made like a $20 million donation to his alma mater. So something must be going really, really well, even in the terrestrial radio world. How have you seen that change during your time as the voice of the Panthers or even more broadly as your time as a professional radio guy, because I hear about uh, twists and turns of, of the radio platform, and yet that's where my main paycheck comes from. That's where your main paycheck comes from. What can you tell us about that evolution? What I can tell you is that television, for all of its technology, whistles, bells, options, graphics, is still trying to create what comes naturally and effortlessly on radio. 
the the banter, the interplay, how relaxed it is. TV on all their pregame shows, whether it's Phyllis and, and Irv and, and Jimmy the Greek and Brent Musburger or whether it's the modern iterations, is still trying to figure out how to make it flow, how to make it natural. I think there's no reason for radio not to be uh, positioned better historically right now than at any time in our lifetime, DG. People are meeting at this minute in in the Silicon Valley, the the New York office buildings in Florida, Detroit, Texas, trying to figure out what does the millennial brain think is entertaining and how do they want to get that entertainment. With attention spans being sliced, diced, chopped like they're in a Vegematic, why not radio? You carry it with you, you pick it up, you put it down. It requires you, you don't need to binge listen to radio, and it's available on your smartphone. So I think if radio doesn't succeed right now, it's radio's fault. Man, I'm glad I asked that question. Mick Mixon's a good guy to ask that question. He is the play-by-play voice of your NFL's Carolina Panthers. There are a lot of machinations on cut weekend in the NFL that involve attention to detail. Like if you put the guy on the IR this way, it has one set of repercussions in IR and this other timing, it has a different set. Bottom line with Graham Gano is that he's gone from Panthers veteran kicker who, because of these machinations and his uh, bad uh, plant leg knee, he's not allowed to kick for anybody, the Panthers or anybody else who might see value in him. What did you make of that aspect of the weekend where former Virginia Tech star Joey Sly gets that starter ki- starting kicker job and Graham Gano is just kind of hitting pause as a guy who's been a, a, an important part of this franchise for a long time? Hard to comprehend it. I thought maybe the Panthers might go half-season IR for Graham, yeah. you know, to preserve the opportunity for him to get well and come back. Joey Sly was not tremendously accurate at Virginia Tech, but he's a banger, long ball hitter, long driving champion, and he did everything that was asked of him in the preseason. Uh, Cody Parkey, I think, is still on the street, the former Bears kicker who trafficked with possibly poor decision-making by going on national morning TV uh, last year to explain the block, the miss that cost the Bears so uh, so gut-wrenchingly against the Eagles. So true. 42, 43 yards right hash, I think it was. But, um, you know, Sly, what will his pulse rate be? I mean, this, is, this, this is it. I mean, this is the Rams coming in here. I was kind of I kind of been thinking DG for a couple of months now. Yeah, the Rams. I know they had a great season last year. Sean McVay, the Doogie Howser, you know, boy wonder coach. But the, the Panthers will be all right. But then I started watching a couple of their games from last year. <laughs> they are really good, and they mess around with you at the line of scrimmage with the play clock. More about that later. But I was kind of surprised with the Gano situation. But uh, I think Joey Sly is a nice kid, kinesiology major at Virginia Tech, and hopefully he's got some neurons firing and he can handle it. There were no surprises at quarterback where Kyle Allen will be the backup and the rookie Will Greer probably will be inactive in, in most, if not all, games. But there were at least surprises to some at running back. Christian McCaffrey is the main man. We knew about Alex Arma as that fullback type guy. But no more Cameron Artis Payne, a, a guy we've gotten used to seeing as a reserve at that position. Reggie Bonifon makes the squad. Jordan Scarlett, the rookie, makes the squad as a backup. What can you tell us about that position generally and those guys specifically? Because we know Christian McCaffrey's still going to get a lot of snaps, but uh, you know Bonifon and Scarlett in different ways made positive impressions over the last month or so. 
Good observation, DG. And then Elijah Holyfield cleared waivers, yep. so he's back on the practice squad. Scarlett looks to me like the kind of guy that if you were a defensive coordinator and you're thinking, okay, which of these backs could the next play after they touch the ball, for which of these could the next play be an extra point? Hmm. And Scarlett meets that that bill. He could take a play be, be above the level of the blocking on the play in in some way. Not, I mean, Mother Nature only gives you one Christian McCaffrey every couple of decades probably, but so I'm not trying to compare Scarlett to McCaffrey, but Scarlett appears to have the juice. And then Bonifant's a great story. Big back, could play fullback, could play tight end. He's already played quarterback and wide receiver at a high level. Just a nice kid, too. So a lot of people in the building and out of the building rooting for him. You mentioned the Rams. I automatically think of the young head coach, Sean McVay. I think of the North Carolina born and bred star running back, Todd Gurley. Everybody knows the QB is Jared Goff. Aaron Donald's a stud on the defensive line. Uh, but you mentioned more of an X's and O's wrinkle, more so than personnel. Uh, what can we look forward to along those lines on Sunday? Fascinating to watch him, DG. They, they, here's what they do. They get, when they huddle, first of all, they mix up huddle and no huddle. But when they huddle, they don't come sauntering uh, up to the line of scrimmage uh, like uh, like a Wild Western <laughs> gunfighter getting into the saloon through the swinging doors. They get up there quickly, and they're ready to go. They, they, they run a lot of their stuff out of 11 personnel, which would be one back, one tight, three wides, and they're schooled at it. They, they just, they're crisp in getting up to the line of scrimmage, and so you've got to be ready. If you're not ready, and with headset communication still open between the booth and Jared Goff, They'll snap it and catch you kind of leaning back and, and a little light and, and run something. Mick Mixon is if joining. If that doesn't work, yeah, then, they, then, they, then they do some other stuff. They, they try to figure out what you're in. They wait until very late to snap it. And they run so many plays, DG, from just their base formations, but they, they, make, it look, they make it look the same, the same, the same, the same. But then they, then, they, then they make it, as soon as the ball is snapped, they got different wrinkles. They're, they're hard to, to deal with. In the last preseason game, we didn't even see that Cam Newton guy on the sidelines because folks didn't want him to be standing on that injured foot for three hours or whatever. I know some of this is just kind of reading tea leaves, but what do you expect to see from you know, one of the most important players in franchise history on Sunday against L.A., given that when we did see him during the preseason, it was uh, an early exit and a sore foot? Well, it's important that you know that you should not take anything I say very seriously. <laughs> I, 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 just, I don't know, I'm, I, but I, I'm think, sitting here thinking, so think along with me and see if you agree. Educated guess. Here what we can go. We exp- right. so what, what can we expect from Cam Newton? Like I always say, I don't coach the team from the press box, although it's not the worst idea I ever heard. <laughs> so wouldn't you, wouldn't you start your defensive planning if you're the Rams? with the following game plan. One is those little quick quick outs to McCaffrey, the little bubble screen and, and all that, the swing passes to get Cam Newton in the rhythm, complete some passes, move the chains. They're going to shut that down. Yeah. Their corners are very good. Tlaib mm. and Peters are very good corners. Weddle and Johnson at safety, they're thumpers as well. They got that great, you know, Dante Fowler, Brockers, Donald, those are three first-round draft choices. Then they almost forgot about Clay Matthews, the Sam linebacker. Right. So I would think that their their first job will be take Cam Newton, throwing to Christian McCaffrey, handing to Christian McCaffrey out. The 22 will be where they start. 
then they're going to crowd. They're going to do what teams did against the Panthers second half last year. They're going to crowd us and stop the run. So, yeah, so, Cam, let's see what you got. All this throwing motion is tighter now. He stays closed longer. Can he make the mid-range? Can he throw the deep dig? Can he throw the, the seven round, the bang eight? Can he make those 15 to 25-yard throws? If so, have at it. But we're not going to let you do the other stuff. That's a great outline, and I think it's right on target. I mean, I asked you to read the tea leaves, and, and you went beyond that. Nobody's sure, probably not even Ron Rivera, probably not even Cam Newton is sure what to expect out of him. Can he even withstand more pounding if uh, that's the defensive game plan for the Rams, and maybe he takes hits as a guy that uh, is now in his 30s? Last thing for you, and I don't know how far into your Rams prep you are, but just as there's this guessing game around Cam Newton, is he 100%, is he 90% or whatever, Todd Gurley is a guy that has had a huge question mark hovering over him uh, since late last year after he got that big fat contract. I mean, we know about golf. We know about Brandon Cooks because we saw him uh, in the NFC South previously and, and a lot of those guys you mentioned on defense. What is the Panthers' expectation to the degree that they have one on Todd Gurley's health and availability? Uh, or is it a, another guessing game from the Panthers' perspective, just like the Rams are guessing to a degree about Carolina? Wish I knew. I mean, Gurley last year was in the conversation. He was in the MVP conversation yeah. in in early December. And then what happened? I just I just don't know. They it seemed like they they got sideways with him. I remember watching one game last year. He was on the bicycle, you know, in uniform, active, and riding the bike on the sideline. Um, what 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 do you what's what's your feeling about it? You know, it's crazy. We actually had. Uh, Todd Gurley's high school coach on our show, not even to discuss Todd Gurley. The, the man had won a high school coach of the year award nationally. And, of course, we just had to throw in a Todd Gurley question because that is who he coached or one of his players in high school. And he mentioned, I can't tell you what's wrong with Todd, but I do communicate with him regularly, and I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But I'm telling you something's physically wrong with Todd Gurley no matter what the Rams coaches tell you. So that was someone who's in his inner circle being careful with his choice of words, but saying, I know Todd Gurley's gait. I know his running style. I know his physicality, and that's not Todd Gurley. Now, this is many months later that the Panthers have to deal with him on Sunday, so who knows what kind of a revised outlook we might get from anybody in Todd Gurley's inner circle. But there's no doubt in my mind that it was an injury that they didn't want to fully discuss and disclose just like we've seen that storyline play out with Cam Newton and the Panthers. To a degree, you share a little, and then you hide a lot because uh, there's a competitive uh, edge involved in these sorts of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I would have guessed that. Not knowing, I think I remember you had that coach on last year. I'm kind of remembering this from the way last season ended, wondering why the Rams kind of went away from that, that jackhammer run game with Gurley. Gurley's yeah. a good receiver as well coming out of the backfield. And I figured it was something like that as opposed to him uh, pouting or you know, a dog cussing a coach or something uh, off the field like that. But uh, I think it'll he can capture an edge. He you know he runs high, he can get away with it. But he runs high, he can bounce the play to the outside. The Rams do a lot of zone blocking up front. So um, so yeah, I mean, getting him on the ground will probably be job one. Last thing for you, you never let me down when I ask you a Panthers related question. I really don't know how you would describe your preparation for, say, the, the NFL from top to bottom, beyond, of course, the Panthers' opponents. As you 
contemplate, you know, the Chiefs or the Saints or the Patriots or the Rams. Uh, my Philadelphia Eagles usually are rated pretty high at this time of year, uh, or I've seen, I should say, a consensus that has them high. The Chargers, the Vikings, uh, some have the Bears or the Falcons up there. The Panthers are picked basically dead solid middle of the NFL. Some people have them as high as 12th or 13th, others as low as 18th or 19th. Do you see anything that's out of whack with the preseason consensus, either as it relates to the Panthers could go either way, basically, uh, which I agree with, uh, or there's somebody that you see as a contender that others don't see or somebody that you see as being on a shaky foundation, even as others pick them to you know, win their division or something. Uh, let me think about it for a second. I, I used to could work up a little mat on back when I was less mature than I am <laughs> yeah. now uh, about the lack of respect the Panthers seemed to get. But then I had a long talk with myself, and I just said, Mickey, you know, nobody cares. You hadn't earned it. You hadn't even had back-to-back winning seasons. Mike Tomlin hadn't had a non-losing season in, I don't know, 15 years or 12 years or however long he's been up there. Um, Bill Belichick, they've had – they win double digit for for a, de- a decade and a half. They've won double digit or more. I yeah. mean, it's crazy. So so win and it and then the radar will find you. But to your question, I, I don't. I think Indianapolis has a very solid crew, and I don't think that the Andrew Luck retirement is the death knell blow to their team. Okay. I've always been a huge Jacoby Brissett fan, ever since he was in Raleigh. I think it, I could see them having a better season than people think. And then I'm very curious about Buffalo. But Josh Allen looks to me like he could take it deep for his career. I, I, I think he's getting it. I think that the coach there, Brian Dable, is a quarterback whisperer. And I think the combination of Dable being the O coordinator in Buffalo and then the, the immense talent of Josh Allen physically, I could see them making a deep playoff run. Interesting. All right, so we're going to translate that on Twitter, Darren, to Mick Mixon says, bet the kids' college tuition fund on the Colts and the Bills to be overachievers. See how we translate that on radio? Uh, Mick, I'm just That's kidding. the only thing that makes me nervous <laughs> about coming on your show is how it's going to look black and white. <laughs> we, we try to treat it with kid gloves and with all the professionalism and accuracy that we can possibly muster. Great to hear your voice, man. Always appreciate your time with us on the David Glenn Show. Enjoy your new crew. Uh, it's a joy, man. Thanks, DG. Call me when you need me. Right back at you. Mick Mixon, play-by-play voice of your Carolina Panthers. Back to your phone calls on the other side. We had a heck of an extended Labor Day weekend. Hope you had a lot of fun with family and friends and food and football and other things. Best of the weekend included Oklahoma, Ohio State, Auburn, closer to home, UNC, UVA, Wake Forest, a little love for North Carolina A&T a top 25 FCS team that took out fellow top 25 team Elon in a game that went down to the wire in that FCS showdown. The Wolfpack, Syracuse, Clemson, and others, App State included, had taken care of business expected victories on the college football landscape. The Tar Heels, the Deacons, the Cavaliers, and others had statement wins of a different kind. You can jump in. The Atlanta Braves, Justin Verlander, Team USA Basketball, three of the goats of the tennis world are still standing and thriving at the U.S. Open. 1-800-849-2761. Five of our states minor league baseball teams are alive and kicking in the postseason so shout out to the durham bulls 
and our host on Friday night as we threw out the first pitch for the Burlington Royals. Yes, they got the win. Yes, we threw a strike. We hope to see you at these playoff games. Hickory, the Down East Wood Ducks, the Fayetteville Woodpeckers, the Burlington Royals, and yes, your International League super heavyweights, the Durham Bulls, who are always in this conversation, it seems, at this time of year. Mac Brown of UNC dropped by. Mick Mixon of the Panthers dropped by. You can join us now, 1-800-849-2761. Florida State, Tennessee, and Virginia Tech lead the worst of the weekend votes in college football. The Miami Dolphins lead that in the NFL ranks. Best of the weekend is a little bit all over the sports world. You can be next with your vote. You can be next with your question about your favorite team in victory or defeat. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us on the David Glenn Show. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Ground ball to third. Toro is there. His throw in time. Justin Berlander. Another exclamation point in a Hall of Fame career. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Here I was, ready to come out of the weekend, talking about my first pitch for the Burlington Royals. Spurning on the playoff victory. They're still alive and kicking, playing again tonight, if needed, tomorrow night against Johnson City. Bulls make the playoffs. Fayetteville, Down East, Wood Ducks, Hickory. At least I thought. I'd be involved in that kind of baseball best of the weekend. Then Justin Verlander has to go and do what he did. The Hall of Fame right-hander. In case you missed it, as we come to your calls, a lot of college football and understandably so. Florida State, Tennessee, Virginia Tech joined the Miami Dolphins of the NFL for worst of the weekend. Best of the weekend, most of those votes also college football. Auburn, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, a lot of different players closer to home. The teams, UNC, UVA, Wake Forest, and others getting a lot of votes. Congrats to Eli Drinkwitz for winning his debut as the App State head coach. Congrats to Will Healy for winning his debut as the Charlotte 49ers head coach. 1-800-849-2761. Serena Williams, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, best of the weekend from the U.S. Open. They're still alive. Today's the quarterfinals in men's and women's sing singles. Team USA does now have 44 straight wins in World Cup or Olympics basketball competition. They barely got to 44, beating Turkey this morning in overtime. Among the stars, Kemba Walker, Harrison Barnes, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell. Chris Middleton had a big game earlier today. As it is a watered-down roster, but... At least in that context, the streak continues. 44 straight wins in those two international competitions. It's still the group stage, by the way. The Americans have advanced under Greg Popovich to the knockout stage, as they say in the Soccer World Cup. The Atlanta Braves joins Justin Verlander from the baseball world as best of the weekend. As we come to your calls, Charles has the NFL on his mind. Gary has college football on his mind. You can jump in either best or worst of the weekend with your vote or... A question, where do the Pirates go from here after a loss? Where do the Deacons or the Tar Heels or the Cavaliers go from here after a win? It's all fair game today at 1-800-849-2761.
I'm joking about my first pitch, although it was a strike and it was executed properly from the rubber itself to a crouched catcher with authentic jersey and all of the other bells and whistles that should accompany a properly executed first pitch at any level of baseball. And the Royals won. So my undefeated record as a first pitch thrower remains intact. I'm going to have to start charging for that stuff if that that uh, is extended too much further into the future. Justin Verlander, in all seriousness, not only put his name in even more rarefied air, he's now 36 years old. He's already been a World Series champion. Remember, he helped the Astros win that after the trade from his Detroit Tigers a couple years ago. So he's a World Series champ. He married a supermodel 10 years younger than he, so you got to get points for that somehow. The lovely and talented Kate Upton, they got married several years ago. In fact, coincidence or not, Justin Verlander's greatest accomplishments in baseball came in the aftermath of his engagement to Kate Upton. Mere coincidence or is A connected to B? I'll leave that to you. He won the Cy Young Award. He won the ALCS MVP. He won his first World Series. He has only one, but Houston has a shot to double up this year, as Justin Verlander may be the favorite to double up in Cy Young Awards. Almost all of this is post-engagement with Kate Upton. If you did not see my first playoff pitch for the Royals, that's okay. If you didn't see the Justin Verlander best of the weekend performance, I must add this as he joined the ranks, and there are not many, of those in the history of Major League Baseball who have three or more no-hitters. He did it to the Toronto Blue Jays. Only Nolan Ryan with seven, which is crazy, and Sandy Koufax with four. They're the only two pitchers, one righty, one lefty, history of baseball with more than three no-hitters. So Verlander has three thanks to this weekend. Remember, he's going to pitch till he's 45, he says. He's going the Tom Brady route. Brady's already in his 40s. Verlander's only 36 years old. So if Kate Upton says it's okay, he wants to pitch for almost another decade. The details mattered with the Burlington Royals' first pitch, but even more so with the Justin Verlander no-hitter. He walked the second batter that he faced against Toronto, and that was it. I mean, a no-hitter, remember, perfect game means 27 up, 27 down. No catcher's interference, no hit-by-pitch, no walks, no, no craziness, no errors, etc. Perfect is perfect. 27 up and 27 down. There have been some weird no-hitters where maybe you walked five guys. Maybe you hit somebody else. Maybe your fielders made a few errors, whatever. They come in all forms and fashions. Only a handful have three or more. And Justin Verlander's this weekend, it was his second against Toronto, a little piece of trivia for you, he walked the second batter he faced, and that was it. He faced 28 batters on the day. There was one walk in the first inning, and everybody else was 27 up and 27 down. That's not quite a perfect game. It is darn close to a perfect game, especially when you consider of the 28 batters, one more than the minimum in a nine-inning game, he struck out 14. This is not a guy at 36 getting through with lesser stuff. He's got wicked good stuff. He's still hitting wicked good numbers on the radar gun. He is flat out dominating people, perhaps on his way to his second AL Cy Young Award. The Astros are great again. He is brilliant again. 
and we'll see if he makes it all the way to 45 years old the way he, he hopes. That guy, 15 years ago, was the number two overall pick in baseball's amateur draft. He's not far, he's from, not far from here. He actually played at, at ODU, Old Dominion University, collegiately. He was that big, hulking right-hander even then. He wasn't as thick back then, but I remember him at ODU. Dominating there, number two overall, obviously, you're not exactly a hidden gem. But a lot of first-round picks in the sport of baseball don't work out. It's not like the expectation level in the NBA or the NHL, where if you're a first-rounder, especially a high first-rounder, you're supposed to start right away, you're supposed to help a lot. And in the lottery, for example, in basketball, you have to be a great player, not just a nice player. Justin Verlander, number two overall, 15 years ago, is not only still doing good things, he is flat-out dominating at the age of 36 and has 27-year-old supermodel Kate Upton along for that ride. That's the best of the weekend right there. I had the lovely and talented Maria with me in Burlington for the first pitch, just to be clear. But Verlander throws a little bit harder than I do. Just a little bit harder than I do. 97 miles per hour yeah, on just, his just, final pitch. Just a little into his bit night. harder yeah. than I do. Or for that <laughs> matter, than I ever did. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Ryan is in Asheville. Gary is in Wilson. Charles is in Chapel Hill. Let's go to Gary because one of his best of the weekend votes is one of my best of the weekend votes. I gave you all the Tar Heels. Sam Howell, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Deami Brown, Bo Corrales, Antoine Green. Uh, Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator, was a flat-out superstar on Mac Brown's staff, confusing the heck out of the South Carolina Gamecock senior quarterback, Jake Bentley. They all get game balls, if you will, as the Heels edge the Gamecocks in Charlotte. I could give you a half a dozen Wake Forest names, and, and their win over uh, Utah State on Friday night that also deserve game balls. And Gary and Wilson has one of those players on his mind. Gary, welcome to the program. Go right ahead. Thank you, David. Yes. And I wonder how many jug guns they had on you in Burlington <laughs> the other night. Yeah, I don't know how if I register anymore. Do they have a lower limit on the jugs gun? If you can't hit like 55 miles an hour, does it show up at all? Does it? Darren, do you know you're a baseball guy? Yeah, I have seen models in which that's the case. It'll it show 55? Well, because you think about it, um, I, I spend a lot of time at the National Training Complex for USA Baseball, and they have, you know, younger tournaments. So, like, okay. 12, 13-year-olds, they need to be gunned. They don't all throw 70, so. I remember the technology when I was pitching in the 1970s, 80s, and early 90s. I don't know what the technology is for radar guns or jugs guns nowadays. Uh, for the record, that was technically – a changeup that I threw at the Burlington Royals game on Friday, Darren. You know, I can, I, I really can place the changeup on the inside corner. I didn't want to baffle the catcher with my overpowering heat uh, after too many days and months and years <laughs> off with my torn left rotator cuff. All right, Gary, sorry for the for the digression there. Go ahead, because Wake, I think, had one of the biggest, not national wins, but regional wins that we enjoyed in college football this weekend. Indeed so. And hello, Newman. Uh, <laughs> of course, Jamie Newman at quarterback, sensational, but top of the hill is Kendall Hinton, fifth-year senior, a guy who caught the winning touchdown pass in the last minute, and a guy who has persevered through a lot at, yeah. with the Wake 
there's great momentum for the Deacon. And for those who forget, Kendall Hinton, I mean, you know what happens to most guys who lose their dream of being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Some give up football. Some transfer, you know, like a Justin Fields from Georgia to Ohio State, uh, Jalen Hurts from Alabama to Oklahoma. Those two guys were among the stars of the college football weekend as transfers. But the majority just go away never to be heard from again. Those guys are the exception to this rule. Kendall Hinton was, for a little while, Wake's number one quarterback. And then Sam Hartman beat him out last year, and now Newman – hello, Newman – Newman and Sam Hartman are above Kendall Hinton, so he moves to wide receiver, or Coach Clawson asks him to. Well, he's not only moved, but he's he matters. Like, he's a quality wide receiver. Nine catches, 66 yards, including a touchdown against Utah State in a game that the Deeks win by three points. I mean, they needed every last point they got against Jordan Love, the Heisman candidate quarterback for Utah State on Friday night in that ACC network game. So, yes, it's great to see keeping a positive attitude, not giving up on your college football dream. That's an in-state guy who was an excellent quarterback at the high school level, and it just became clear eventually he was not going to be an ACC caliber quarterback. So what do you do? Do you sour on a sport that you love? Do you transfer down a level? Do you give up entirely? No, you, you move to a position where you can help the same school, continue your progress toward your degree, et cetera. And in that case, he was on my short list. Jamie Newman threw for 400-plus yards and three touchdowns while also rushing for a TD. That's their supersized starting quarterback, Jamie Newton. J- Jamie, hello, Newman, at Wake Forest. Cade Carney ran for 100-plus yards. He's a senior running back. Sage Surratt, sophomore wide receiver, caught – seven balls for 150-plus yards and a touchdown. Hinton did his part. Justin Sternad had 12 tackles, team high, senior linebacker. He's really good. And the defense was opportunistic enough, gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points, but they also picked off that Jordan Love guy three different times and sacked him once, I believe. Boogie Basham with the sack for Dave Clawson's Demon Deacons, the team that I had circled as my educated guess for the team that will end up being the best in the state of North Carolina this year. They're not the only candidate. Wolfpack beat ECU convincingly. Tar Heels surprised the Gamecocks in Charlotte. App State is the king of the Sun Belt until somebody proves otherwise. But I really believe this Wake team is not overwhelming, but they're incredibly well coached. They have a lot of experience. And I just had a feeling that when they were in close games like this, whether it was their special teams where they're good, opportunistic but not dominating defense and then that's a lot of talent I just outlined on offense to me it all adds up to a team that really has a great chance of getting through September and October with a pretty looking record hello Newman thy name is Wake Forest 1-800-849-2761 bonus points to Gary and Wilson for the Seinfeld reference you know you can't sneak that by. We'll get to Ryan in Asheville on the other side. Charles in Chapel Hill has the NFL on his mind. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. We've been glancing back mostly today. If you need a little refresher on what we have awaiting us, you all know the NFL is here. Games Thursday through Monday night. Week two of college football will offer at least three national must-see TV games, one of them involving the ACC. And closer to home, there are at least two games worthy of your consideration rather than the traditional September cupcakes. I'll give you that outline as we come back to your calls next on The David Glenn Show. 
Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Some sad news to report as we come back to your calls, and I give you that quick outline. Condolences to ECU head football coach Mike Houston and his family and friends. He shared earlier today that his father passed away earlier today. So condolences to the coach. Amazing guy with an amazing track record, just getting started, of course, as the leader of the ECU football program. They took their lumps again at NC State on the field. Certainly sad news, and our condolences to the coach and his family and friends. We'll be talking with Coach Houston leading into our big tailgate tour trip to Greenville later this month. More on that later. Remember, it's Miami at UNC on our agenda this weekend. And whereas I would circle Hurricanes at Tar Heels as one of the highlights of either the ACC schedule or the state of North Carolina college football schedule, most of today we've been taking your best and worst of the weekend votes looking backward college, NFL, and otherwise. Looking forward, Miami at UNC, certainly a highlight. A&T, FCS superpower here in North Carolina, visits the Duke Blue Devils. We didn't learn a lot about Duke because they got crushed by number two Alabama. We'll learn a lot more about a team that has been ranked regularly as one of the best in the FCS ranks under Coach Sam Washington, who just took over last year and won the HBCU National Championship at North Carolina A&T. It'll be Aggies at Blue Devils, so we'll talk with Coach Cut about that. Nationally, number one Clemson hosts Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. The Aggies are good. The Aggies came close to upsetting Clemson in College Station a year ago, if you remember correctly. And if you're looking at number one Clemson's full slate, this is one of the bigger danger games for Dabo and the Tigers. So they'll be home. This is at Clemson's version of Death Valley. That's must-see TV on the weekend to come as we get jacked up for the NFL's full first week of regular season action, week two in college football, led by Clemson against A&M, continues with... LSU at Texas. They are both in the national top 10. This weekend's biggest game was Auburn, Oregon, and the Tigers ended up coming back to beat the Ducks. I would say that was a 1B level type matchup. Neither a realistic candidate for a run at a national championship. A lot of people see LSU and Texas, again, head to head against each other this coming weekend, as on that second tier behind the heavyweights, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, maybe one or two others. That's a head-to-head matchup that is must-see TV in my eyes. Ohio State takes on Cincinnati. I would circle that one as well. And then throw in Miami at UNC, closer to home, big tailgate tour style, on a weekend that does involve a lot more cupcake games than you might guess. TV executives have done a great job of dressing up week zero and week one with more competitive games. Like what, we had three ACC versus ACC games. You almost never have that in week one. I think it was the third or fourth time in 30 years the ACC did things that way, in part because of the launch of the ACC network. Well, the cupcake games in many cases were moved to week two 
So you're not going to have a lot of tasty treats, pardon the pun, beyond those that I just mentioned as we look forward to a lesser version of college football in week two, but must see TV at the NFL level with everybody opening their seasons. 1-800-849-2761. Ryan in Asheville, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, man, what's uh, on your mind? Time, first time caller. I'm new to the state, but I'm starting to catch the fever for the North Carolina teams. Cool. Uh, that said, I want to say something about the ACC's heavyweight. Sure. In Clemson, uh, you know, Lawrence didn't really have the best game. He You're didn't right. need to. They kind of rolled the ball out there, and they kind of ran over Tech. I guess my question is, does he have to have a big year, or can Clemson pretty much do what they want with the running game and defense this year? I'll sit back and listen, listen yeah. to you talk. Yeah, I appreciate your call, Ryan. Thanks for listening and converting, if you will. Uh, Clemson is so good against most of its schedule that uh, the mediocre version of their sophomore quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, will be good enough. I mean, they crushed crushed Georgia Tech 52-14, to 14, and it was actually worse than that until you know garbage time even though he threw a couple of interceptions and asked the running back, Travis Etienne, to carry the load. Now, the next couple of weeks, Texas A&M at home and then at a top 25 Syracuse team, I think the Tigers need to be closer to their best, right? I mean, Charlotte, you know, the, the, the Charlotte 49ers are next on the Clemson schedule after that. They have UNC. They have to go to Louisville, Boston College, Wofford, NC State, Wake Forest, at South Carolina, which looks to be down this year. None of those are leaving Dabo Sweeney shaking in his boots or even close to that. I think A&M and Syracuse the next two weeks jump out as the toughest challenges, and that means there's not a lot of time for Trevor Lawrence to find that better version of himself, especially with the Aggies coming to Death Valley this Saturday afternoon. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. Special thanks to UNC coach Mac Brown and Panthers voice Mick Mixon for dropping by as guests today. We appreciate Kate Upton for her contributions as well. Shout out to Hayes Permar of Sports Channel 8, the radio show. He got engaged this weekend. Triad listeners, I'll be on the Sports Hub with Josh Graham as a guest a little bit later. Enjoy the games tonight and the U.S. Open in tennis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina. Love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.